thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick. In today's episode, we're heading back for a couple highlights from day two of Fool Fest. And we're going to talk even more stocks. All that and an entertaining eBay story from Tom Gardner on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. Last week, we took you to Fool Fest and snuck you into a presentation about making sense of the market. Well, let's head back to Fool Fest for day two. And we're kicking it off with a presentation called Top Stocks. Chris Hill hosted Motley Fool analysts Andy Cross, Emily Flippin, Jason Moser, and Seth Jason. This is a chart that represents the biggest holdings of everyone in the room. Collectively, Apple, Amazon, Starbucks, Walt Disney, Facebook, Netflix, Activision Blizzard, Berkshire Hathaway, Mercado Libre, and MasterCard. These are the most widely held stocks in the room. And Andy Cross, since you tried to get away from me, and also because you're the chief investment officer, I'll start with you. Does anything on this list surprise you? Is there anything surprising about how one of these is in the top 10, and maybe you thought it wouldn't have been, or vice versa? No, I thought, I thought maybe Shopify would get in there, um, a stock that we've, we've recommended a, f- a lot of times, and it's done so well for us. But these are all large-cap stocks. I mean, the, the smallest one is Mercado Libre at $30 billion or so, I think. So um, not too surprising. Uh, th- these are all businesses we've invested in, held for many, many, many years. So um, I, it's not too surprising. More surprising is maybe just the fact that the likes of like the Shopify is not necessarily in there, which we've talked a lot about. But it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a stellar list. I mean, that's like an all-star list of stocks that y'all are carrying in your portfolio. So, congratulations. I don't know what the average performance is across those since we recommended it, but it's got to be pretty phenomenal. I feel like there are top stocks list. I mean, any organization in the world. I feel like our top stocks list. I, I'm surprised Tesla's not on there. To be honest with you. I mean, I feel like there are investors in this world who have bought into the Tesla story and understanding that it requires truly a long-term vision. I kind of thought it would be on that list, but I mean, I also understand why investors perhaps don't own this You know, I just love also that it's not on that list. You don't see GE. You don't, thank God. You don't see, no offense, if you you hold GE, and maybe you do, no offense, but you don't see ExxonMobil. You don't see a lot of the big pharma companies. Um, I don't see Home Depot, which may have surprised me, but a lot of the That's companies of the that aren't travesties. on there, this, these are the companies that, are, that have changed the world over the last few years and for the better. No China. Where's the China? That's no always China. my question. Where's the Where's China? Where's the China? It's east. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised. Mercado Libre seems a, a little spicier than, than I would expect to see on that list, although to look back, you know, Netflix used to be a pretty spicy stock too, but I am surprised we don't see... Uh, a sea trip up there, or an Alibaba, or a Baidu, or a Tencent. Yeah, I, I kind of want to ask a question, actually. I'm not sure if this will work in this venue, but raise your hands if you have, if you own any index funds or ETFs, anything like that. Okay, there's a lot of hands, and I know I'm not the only one who chooses to index at least some of my savings. And I actually don't own a lot of these stocks, and that's largely because I already have exposure through large cap indexes. So I'm a little surprised that 
there's not smaller companies on here because when I seek to invest, I seek to add exposure to the areas where I feel like I'm not getting that exposure. And that is China, that is smaller companies, small, medium cap companies. So I'm not entirely surprised because these are great large cap companies. But in a lot of respects, I think people who don't already outright own these shares are probably already overexposed to large cap companies in the US. So you know who to listen to up here. Which of those answers sounded intelligent? <laughs> That's not new. E equals MC squared. <laughs> That's right. I-L-Y. Are you surprised that Alphabet is not on that list? Because no when we think about the dominant tech companies, the fact that neither Microsoft nor Alphabet being among the top 10 holdings, that's a little surprising. I think Alphabet's kind of lived a short life, relatively speaking, in our universe as a recommendation, though, too, hasn't it? I mean, I think for a long time it wasn't, um, I don't think it was, I mean, it's, it's been a recommendation in our universe for a while, but I think comparatively speaking up there, it's probably younger in that regard. And maybe, you know, maybe the, the investment case there thinking that a lot of the growth had already happened, understanding it is really purely an advertising business. Uh, and then obviously the, the antitrust concerns that we talk about today. I mean, certainly Alphabet isn't the only company that's exposed to that risk, uh, but it's, it's definitely got uh, one of the more outsized exposures, I would say. I mean, the same with Microsoft. Um, it hasn't been a very active recommendation of ours. Um, we have it in one of the discoveries. Uh, it used to be in Inside Value, I think, years ago. Um, but just hasn't, hadn't really landed into a lot of the services and the portfolios and stock recommendations list. So it's not too surprising, it's, even though it's a $800 billion company and done really well in the past couple of years after struggling, not too surprised not, not to see that on this list of Motley Fool, Wiley Hell stocks. I'm also a little surprised, I guess, I look at this again. Activision Blizzard, is, we have a lot of World of Warcraft players in the room. Is that what's going on here? So I feel like this is an opportunity to really get the best poll results because the two breakout sessions I uh, conducted yesterday on in the entertainment industry, part of the breakout session talks about the gaming industry, and part of that discussion talks about the advent of esports. And the the people in the room, I would ask, raise your hand if you understand the concept of esports. So I'm going to ask everybody in this room, raise your hand if you understand the concept of esports. Who here believes esports is going to be a massive market opportunity in the coming decade? Okay, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job of telling that story because it's very easy, I think, for a lot of people to say, I don't get it. Why in the world would I just sit there and watch someone else play a video game? But the fact is we sit there and we watch experts play all sorts of games all the time. That's the nature of sports. That's the nature of entertainment. Uh, esports is just another, another way to that. And, and certainly Activision Blizzard is one of the companies paving that path. Tencent is the other one. I was about to say, I mean, with the number of hands that we saw for people who recognize that esports is a major opportunity, the world's largest esports player isn't on that list. And that would give you international exposure. That would give you exposure not just to esports, but to the hundreds of other businesses that Tencent operates in. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that that's not on the list now that I'm thinking about it. You're welcome, Emily Flippin. <laughs> um, Questions are already coming in from the audience. Before we get to those, real quick, uh, Jason, I'll start with you and we'll go right down the line. Uh, you have to kick one of these stocks off and you have to replace it with something else. What are you kicking off and what are you replacing it with? So Andy and I were talking about this first and we were wondering how many people would actually go with Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, 
I'm gonna go ahead and steal that because uh, you're just giving me the opportunity to go first. And I, I think the only reason, well, I do, I do like Berkshire Hathaway, the company. I do feel like it's a little stale. I feel like when we see Buffett adding Apple and Amazon to the portfolio, David, wherever you are, I loved your Apple cost basis joke yesterday regarding Berkshire Hathaway. He basically was trolling Buffett with his Apple cost basis. Uh, I don't know. I mean, all of these companies up here are great businesses. They're all leading the way uh, forward. I think Berkshire Hathaway probably would fall to the bottom of that list as far as companies that are leading the way forward. And if I had to replace it, I think everybody knows I'm a big fan of the payment sector. I'm surprised MasterCard is the only exposure there. I'd probably add PayPal to that list. Uh, this may get, get me kicked off the uh, podcast circuit here at The Motley Fool, but I'm going to say Starbucks. Um, Chris, sorry. But I know. Well, I mean, listen, it's like Let's move your, on to Emily. This, this is like voting your children off the island. I mean, like, not that I have 10 children, but, um, you know, so I'm just saying, like, these are all really pretty great companies. I, I just think from, I mean, Starbucks is a $100 billion company. Um, it's, it's benefiting te technology, but I just think looking out five, ten years, I just don't think the returns are going to be... I, I agree with Jason and Berkshire Hathaway, but I think Starbucks is probably one that um, is not going to be a, the best performer out of this list, I think. Uh, I, I would definitely look to a smaller space. I talked about Trade Desk, TTD, yesterday, which is one that's widely owned. And um, I think looking out at how we are consuming media and how Trade Desk uses their programmatic ad bidding software to match up and use artificial intelligence and machine learning to match up people who want to place ads with those who want to consume content and that requires an advertising business. Uh, Trade Desk is leading in that space and, um, and it's founder-led and has all the qualities we like, so I would put that one on. Emily? Yeah, if I had to kick one off, I'd, I'd probably kick Andy off. Um, uh, oh, we're talking about stocks. Okay. Um, I think based off the poll we saw earlier, this is probably going to irritate 6 or 7% of the people here. <laughs> I'd kick Apple off, honestly. Apple is a company that I see as being really reactive. Um, I don't see it doing a lot of innovation in its space. I think it's kind of semi-failed streaming attempt is a great testament to that and how poorly it was received by the market. Um, I don't think they're doing a great job of just innovating. And I, I think Apple is probably going to be a stable performer over the long term. But when I think about growth, is it really going to have its best days ahead of it? No, in my opinion, that's not going to happen. Um, and I'd probably replace it with a company called ServiceNow. Its ticker is N-O-W. ServiceNow is really innovative, and it, it does the exact opposite of Apple in that regard. It's constantly thinking forward. And they provide an amazing platform that integrates a lot of other really great companies. So while it is a larger cap company, it actually does a good job of taking all of those smaller plays, right? So these other smaller organizations that, that integrate onto their platform. And it makes it really sticky for the organizations that use ServiceNow because they become that one-stop shop. They have a land and expand model that once it's in the business, it's really hard to get rid of it. So Apple, I feel like easy to get rid of that. Take it off the list for me and I replace it with ServiceNow. Seth? All my ideas are stolen being last. I, I would probably remove Starbucks. Personally, every, every time I go to one, it's filthy and I don't understand why anybody goes to one anymore. I, I wish Howard Schultz would, would take his 0.03% share and just quit doing that and wipe tables. Um, 
Activision Blizzard, I think I'd get rid of. Uh, not my favorite game stock. I don't know if I can get an answer here, but if you exclude the latest adventures movie, does anyone know what the biggest entertainment opening in history was or what they have been? I have a hand up front. We'll take it. Yes, games. Can you repeat it? Red Dead Redemption 2. Yep, the games that are coming out of, out of Rockstar. But um, why can't I think of Take-Two Entertainment? I just about lost the company. Interactive. I remembered, yeah. So Take-Two Interactive Entertainment. They have an amazing capacity to sell story-driven games. There it is. He's got it, he's got it up on the phone in front of us. And so Red Dead Redemption 2, do you remember how many hundred millions it was? Like six, seven hundred million or something? It was incredible. And this isn't even their biggest game. Their biggest game is Grand Theft Auto, which still, still sells huge numbers years and years after it came out. By the way, there's going to be another Grand Theft Auto one of these days, which will probably blow that adventure, uh, um, Avengers mark away. And so... They're not so big in the esports arena, although they do have uh, some exposure to that with NBA 2K. But they, in an era where other companies are concentrating on this free-to-play model, Fortnite, and then you sell add-ons, they are. This is not what they do, and they're not going to chase that trend. They are masters at really good story-driven um, uh, properties. And kind of think of them as sort of the Pixar of the industry. Quality is paramount, and they do a great job, and they make a ton of money doing it. Now, the business used to be a lot more volatile. It used to be just lurch from hit to hit, so you'd have great cash flow this year and then awful for a few years. That doesn't happen the same way anymore because they have more add-on content, and uh, so things have smoothed out to a large degree. So. Uh, I would probably remove Activision Blizzard, and if we're going to replace it with something from the same industry, I would have to say take two. TTW Zero. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time, as efficiently as possible. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. Over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn, and grow as professionals and discover new job opportunities. That's how they make sure your job gets in front of people with the right hard skills and soft skills to make your role requirements. Things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. So I talked to our recruiting office here at The Motley Fool because we use LinkedIn Jobs, and I asked them what they thought about it, and they said that it was great for finding candidates, and it's uh, easy to use, and they love it. So if you want to try it like The Motley Fool does it, to get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. Again, that's linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Get to some of the questions from the audience. Do you expect the new app from Disney to have a large impact on their earnings? Yes. <laughs> though, Is it positive or negative? Even though they're not, they're, even though they don't think it's going to be, what's the word? Profitable? Right speaking, out of the speaking as a parent, uh, that's an emphatic yes. Uh, I mean, I, it certainly will have it. They. You know, Disney's interesting. I talk about how we, we've gone from this 
convenience of the bundle and then everything became unbundled. And now we're kind of going back to this quasi bundle with Disney owning Hulu and Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. Um, Disney Plus, I think, is going to prove to be a very compelling service. They're forecasting over the coming five, six, seven years to get those subscriptions up to 60 uh, to 90 million. Now, those are forecasts. They're their forecasts. So, of course, they're going to try to paint a rosy picture. Uh, but there is a lot of, of independent industry data that shows a lot of consumer interest uh, in, in the service as well. And I think what's going to be really fascinating is that they're going to price it to sell, really, initially, at, I think, six ninety nine a month. And, you know, you look at what Disney has always really had solved, and that's the content side. It's never really been about the content. They've got that. It was always trying to figure out the distribution. You know, on the other side of the coin, you look at something like Netflix. Netflix has really capitalized more on the distribution side, and now they're trying to figure out how to fully crack that content nut, so to speak, both challenges in their own right. But I think Disney's going to have the opportunity to raise the price for that Disney Plus service over time. My question with Netflix is how much further can they raise that price uh, without having to invest uh, exponentially larger sums of money in content? Uh, but, but yeah, I think that all signs port to, uh, point towards a positive reception for that Disney Plus service. I think, it'll, I think it'll turn out to be more, it'll be profitable sooner than they think. I think, I think based on just operating profits, it probably it won't be out of the gate probably for the first year or so, but I think it'll actually be more profitable faster than what they've been, even anticipated. I mean, if you look at what is costing Netflix, you know, real profits, it's creating the content. Disney has so much created already, and, and then they have all the, the licenses to do whatever they want. And there's a reason why they price it so cheap, and it's because they're going to increase that price once they get people in the door. So I think they're going to see the profitability is going to be dependent upon how sticky those customers actually end up being. You know, once that price is increased from $7 to $15 a month, how many people stay versus how many people cancel? And you don't have to just jack up the price on all your existing customers. You can just open extra avenues. I mean, on Hulu, if you watch Hulu now like I do, you get some ads. They don't bug me very much, but, but if I want, I can pay a few bucks extra a month, and suddenly it's ad-free. If I want other content, I can add on. So it, Disney, with all, the, with all the licenses they have and all the property, has, has a really good opportunity to raise prices, but without, feeling, without making consumers feel like they're just being stuck. You know, they can get extra content for that money. The stock we are getting the most questions about is NVIDIA. Hooray. Take it in any direction you want. Where, where do you see NVIDIA right now, both as a stock and in the marketplace? Well, I own it. Anyone else own it up here? All right, so the NVIDIA story was, right? Graphics, then graphics plus Bitcoin. Am I getting this right? Then graphics plus Bitcoin plus AI. Did I miss anything? That's about it. Maybe not. Kind of, kind of. Those are the three. The Bitcoin thing sort of went away, right? Uh, everyone, did anyone remember what happened with uh, GPUs being used to mine uh, cryptocurrencies? They weren't the best thing for it. it. Turns out the best thing is to get a custom-made chip that only does that, runs a lot cheaper, and then it didn't help that cryptocurrency prices just dropped off a cliff. I still own NVIDIA, however, because while they were concentrating on a lot of these other uh, places, 
um, they sort of missed a cycle with their graphics cards. And so they missed on some sales of graphics and they screwed a few things up. Um, I bought into it uh, kind of more recently after the price was almost chopped in half. I thought that was a better price point. But I still think for the long run they, they have a great position in gaming cards. And if you believe in esports, you believe in gaming cards. Uh, and so that, this is another way to go. As far as AI goes, the hardware in AI is going to be dizzying and complex and very fast changing. NVIDIA's strength in that area is that they have a fairly robust, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, ecosystem um, for AI entrance. So if anybody out here wants to open a business with me where we sell uh, drones, for instance, that can take selfies while simultaneously not flying into a tree or a power line, we can buy off-the-shelf componentry from NVIDIA that we can then program and we'll do the job. And so NVIDIA allows companies to get into AI space, automation, self-driving, without having to invent their own chips or do anything that's really too crazy. So that's a pretty powerful position to be in, in addition to being able to, able to sell uh, AI chips into server farms, which is a little more competitive probably. But I think, to summarize, I think NVIDIA is in a pretty good place. Uh, when the price gets spicy, you probably need to look out for the potential problems. Can you please talk about the marijuana space. I'm not talking about weed on Mars. I'm talking about the marijuana industry. Emily? Yes, I can definitely talk about that. I help co-advise our marijuana master service here with the Motley Fool. Uh, the marijuana industry, I think it, it's misperceived by a lot of people. And that's largely because the media has really taken the industry and, and ran with it. Uh, you saw the same thing happen with cryptocurrency, for instance. There was Bitcoin watch, and now it's Tilray watch, right? And so a lot of people rightly believe that the marijuana industry is this overhyped, overplayed, overvalued space to invest in. But for me, when I look at the industry, I still see a really strong industry with underlying demand. And that's not to say that every person should be investing in marijuana, right? But it is to say that if you are looking for a high growth opportunity to be a small portion of your portfolio, there is a good way that you can get exposure through the marijuana industry. And so part of what I'm going to talk about later in the marijuana breakout today is how you do that by taking a basket approach. Uh, trying to pick one marijuana stock is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And a lot of people, unfortunately, end up going with the Tilrays and the canopy growths of the world, which are diluting shareholder value, having outrageous valuations, without realizing that there is, in fact, a better way. So I think that the marijuana industry, in, as in, in general, is a very legitimate industry. It can be a very legitimate investment, and there's a right way to invest in it for a cautious, long-term, business-focused investor. I can confirm that there's a great demand for this product on my bike ride home every single day. I can smell the demand. <laughs> I bike through forest preserves. Jason, will Twitter ever succeed in monetizing its platform in a similar way that Facebook did? No. Uh, no, I mean, I think we, we certainly have to look at what uh, Jack Dorsey has done with Twitter and bring it back around to an actual business. Um, I mean, he came in with a set agenda, get the business profitable, you know, eliminate this absurd stock-based compensation, try to give them somewhat of a future. And I think he's done that. I mean, if you look at the numbers, you, you've got a business now, and we can actually value it because there's an E to go with the P, and without an E, you've got no P-E. 
Um, I think the problem that Twitter is going to perpetually face, at least in the social space, and I mean, I say this is still a, a Twitter shareholder. I mean, I've, I've, you know, the shares have done very well for me. Uh, but, but really, when it comes to social, the biggest network wins. Uh, I mean, this is an industry that is subsidized by advertising, pure and simple. And uh, Twitter's a wonderful information network. It's a wonderful tool. It's a little bit nuanced. It's not for everybody. Uh, but it is really Twitter. You know, at the end of the day, Facebook, you've got Facebook, you've got Instagram, you've got Messenger, you've got WhatsApp, you've got anything else that they're going to do in billions and billions of people who use at least one of those platforms every day. So to put Twitter in that same class with Facebook, I think would be probably a bit optimistic. And I certainly wouldn't look at the investment case that way. Andy, will Netflix be able to continue to grow with all the new streaming services that are coming online? And how concerned are you about the amount of money they're spending? Yeah, I mean, um, yes, they'll be able to continue to grow. Certainly, the, the innovation around the Disney streaming app, Hulu's innovation there and, and what they have been able to do and all the other ones as well, too, coming online, um, even the likes of like CBS. Uh, so I believe Netflix will continue to grow. I believe those platforms will start to concentrate into fewer and fewer, just like the movie industry concentrated into fewer and fewer winners. I think Netflix can be there, especially on the global side. They have a, when it comes to streaming, they have a real lead around global and how you think about programming around global. Certainly the balance sheet has grown um, enormously and it's something to watch and manage. They've been able to do that pretty effectively over time. Um, so I would say, yes, there's some concerns on the balance sheet, but I obviously the leadership team, the programming they've been able to put together, the offerings across all of those hundreds of millions of, uh, for, for all those hundreds of millions of consumers to offer them different uh, options to choose from is, a, is, as of right now, a competitive advantage, and hopefully that can stays. I think they can, um, might not be growing quite as fast as it used to be, so investors have to have that expectation. I think they're starting to get up to that realization, but... I think Netflix can continue to be an outperformer over the next five years. Do we want to offer a Netflix hedge in the same space? Sure. Go Emily's ahead. smiling. She knows what I'm going to say. Roku. Oh, right? I knew oh, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. didn't want to beat you to the punch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, Emily and I both became real interested in Roku probably about the same time a while ago. And the reason is, yeah. is that as Disney splits off or others, Roku Box is their natural place that brings this all together. And Roku, uh, I like because it's the Switzerland of the space. If you, get, if you try to use something Amazon Fire or Google, those two get in a fight. You can't get the uh, opposing side services maybe on your machine or they do something to slow it down. Roku is the place that, where all this is collected. Yeah, and a lot of people probably think about Roku, and if you own a Roku, whether that be a Roku box or Roku TV, you're probably sitting here thinking, why would I buy a hardware company? <laughs> that makes no sense. They sell this very cheap box or a very relatively cheap TV. And actually, they're really poised to succeed based off things like Disney+. Plus. And that's because any purchase that somebody makes through a Roku box or Roku TV, whether that be paying their Netflix subscription or buying Disney+, Plus, Roku actually gets a cut of that money. And so it's recurring revenue that's not even just ad-based revenue. And we've seen Google, Baidu, and all these other big companies struggle with ad-based revenue. So it might make some people trepidatious. They actually have a pretty strong system of recurring revenue. And so thinking just over the short term here, something like Disney Plus is really poised to benefit Roku. 
and there's a lot of free programming on Roku that is watched. Well, it's ad-supported, and it's watched by a lot of people like me. And so they, you know, together with technologies like Trade Desk, they're able to place ads. And one of the interesting things, if you're watching your Roku boxes, you'll see uh, advertisements, you'll see local advertisements, something you would never see on, on Hulu, and certainly not on Netflix. Three quick ones to wrap up. First, Jason, do you think PayPal has a better long-term growth story than Square in the war on cash? That's a really good question. I mean, I own both uh, stocks. PayPal is certainly a bigger company. Um, wow, I mean, six and one, you know, half dozen the other, I guess. I feel like PayPal has certainly more the proven track record of success. And ultimately, you know, that's why I came up with the war on cash basket, so I didn't have to make this choice. Who asked me this question? I mean, come on. Uh, no, seriously. I mean, it's a good question. I, you know, if I had to put my money today on a business to own for the next 10 years, frankly, it would be PayPal. And, and part of that has to do with the track record that it has established to date. That is more about PayPal, not a knock on Square. But Square is still very much a business in development and really in a, in a battle where kind of the race is to the bottom and being you know, a low-cost provider. Emily, what do you think of Beyond Meat? The stock is up more than 20% today. Yeah, I, I struggle with Beyond Meat, and I've had more than one conversation where I've definitely taken opposite sides on it. Initially speaking, um, Beyond Meat's is playing in an industry that I actually think is going to revolutionize the space. I, I genuinely do. A lot of people, and I know Seth is one of them, thinks that Beyond Meats is it's just a bad vegetarian patty, right? There's better vegetarian patties out there. Why? Oh, no, I said it's a good vegetarian oh, patty. Good it's vegetarian just the problem. Patty. There's a My lot of them. <laughs> Wasn't there a wood chips comment yesterday uh, on this? I mean, look, I don't people, know what the stuff is are made not, of. But. People. People are not buying it because they want to lose weight or they don't want to ingest wood chips. They're buying it because it's better for the environment, it's better for the animals, and it's accessible now. And so while it is a trend and the valuation of Beyond Meats today is completely absurd, and I will give anybody that, I actually think that 10 years from now, the, the non-meat industry is going to be much bigger than it is today. Um, and although it is kind of a fool's errand with, with a little F there trying to estimate the size of that market, I don't think that this is just another vegetarian patty in your freezer aisle. I actually think that this is changing the way that people consume meat. That being said, I don't think I'd buy it at today's prices. Yeah, the stock's price, like those patties are containing some of that cannabis that Emily likes to talk about so much. <laughs> they, they go nicely together, don't they? There's going to be a merger of those two industries at some point. Last question, we're going to go down the line, starting with you, Jason. What is the best stock to give my kids for long-term growth? Wow. Um, well, thankfully, I have two daughters with portfolios of their own, so I really should probably just draw from theirs. Um, what was 10 years, was it, the timeline? Long-term. Long-term. I mean, listen, I'll go with the first stock they ever bought, and I think this is a company that's going to grow a lot in the coming decade, and that's Disney. I mean, it, it maybe is the first stock that many people out there got their kids. It was the first stock that my daughters bought, and uh, it's, it's done extremely well for them, and that was before any of this really, you know, streaming stuff came out. I mean, I think they're in a position to really continue to perform well over the coming decades So Disney. 
Yeah, I mean, I mentioned Trade Desk, uh, but another one that we are just starting to really look into and use a lot is, is uh, Zoom technology, Zoom video technology, ZM, um, which we just uh, had recommended. Um, it's a relatively new IPO, so just finding their footstep, but it's a small company doing some really pretty great things in that space and in, in video conferencing, but they're growing outside and the business is set up um, and the way that business operates is set up to really succeed long-term. And I like the, the inside ownership and the, the founder story as well, too. Yeah, I think, I think you should all tell your kids to start investing in cannabis, actually. Uh, <laughs> I, I genuinely... They, investing, they, yeah. investing They'll probably figure cannabis. that out on their own. <laughs> investing in cannabis. <laughs> I genuinely believe that when you're looking at, at young kids, and I kind of experienced this myself growing up, is it's important for them to invest in something that they're interested in. And so when I, oh, no, okay, not cannabis, not cannabis. Exception to cannabis. Invest in something in which they're excited about. So whether that be <laughs> not cannabis. Invest in Disney. Disney is a great example. Tell them to invest in. <laughs> an Activision Blizzard, something that really gets them excited and makes them want to watch the company. I think for kids, it's less about making money. I think a lot of people here are focused on like, you know, cutting edge, like what's going to be the big future. And, you know, with kids, it's more focused on building that interest. And I don't think I'd be here today if it wasn't for my parents kind of building that interest in me myself. And that wasn't revolving around making money for me as a kid. It was revolving around the businesses and, and feeling like I had a part in something bigger than myself. So yeah, I, I kind of reiterate Disney is a great first step there, but also any gaming companies that they're interested in, also a good place to start. We're getting a great Disney. response from the crowd here, Chris, but I feel like maybe there's a Netflix special in the making. I mean, you, investing maybe is for nerds, but a lot of laughter in this room. They're, they're seemingly giving specials out to lots of people these days. We'll make a call. Yeah. Sure. And Disney and cannabis go very well together. <laughs> Just saying. Cheetos. <laughs> Just saying. And Doritos. Yeah. Yeah. You need your PepsiCo, your Disney, and maybe your DoorDash or your... Uh, uh, if, since we're talking about kids, um, I'm not sure how long-term this is. It's certainly medium-term enough. Uh, five Below. Whose who's kids here go to, go to Five Below and spend five, six, seven, well, not, I guess, a few bucks on stuff? Five Below is a very interesting business. We recommended it in Hidden Gems a while ago. It did very well from there. They have really, really low-cost uh, stores, and they sell pretty fun stuff. And so it is not a dollar store. Dollar stores are boring. I went to a dollar store the other day. I needed a toilet plunger. You can is that stop. too much? <laughs> uh, no, the last one I broke throwing at a deer in my backyard. It's a long story. Um, Five Below has cool stuff. My daughter likes to go there. She earns her own money. We bribe her for everything. All chores are a la carte. She goes to Five Below. She can spend a few dollars and come back with some fun stuff. A lot of other kids do this. And so stores don't cost much. They get pretty good margins on things. They've got some great organic growth. They can be profitable and, and ramp up their margins at very low comp sales rates. And uh, I believe the stock pulled back recently, so it's not as crazy expensive looking as it was. F-I-V-E. We'll wrap up there. Seth Jason, Emily Flippin, Andy Cross, Jason Moser. Well, we had fun at our two days of Fool Fest. Let's close with, well, closing remarks from Tom Gardner, co-founder and CEO of The Motley Fool. It's an energizing feeling for me to stand here and look out across 
um, 700 fools and to know how much time, uh, to know how much creative energy and to know how much um, enthusiasm you've brought to our lives and to the world of investing. You are helping us uh, make the world better for investors. You are helping us help other people invest better around the world. And it's a great feeling because of the possibilities that sit out in front of us. I'm also um, very excited for the work that David, as chairman of the Molly Fool Foundation, Audrey Robertson, and other fools that are already working on this behind the scenes, their dreams are um, to really create something transformative, to create one of the most beautiful foundations ever created. And David and I have talked about how this may be the greatest thing that the Motley Fool ever creates, is the foundation that we're working on together. And while we will be occasionally coming and saying, hey, we want you to be a part. If you want to donate, that's great. We're probably going to find some ways to give something out of every transaction through the Motley Fool into that foundation to make sure that every community, every child, everyone who hasn't gotten uh, the light bulb flicked on yet about the joys of free markets and capitalism, democracy, and the opportunity to innovate, to fail, to learn, to grow, and to create value for the world is out there. It's funny, there is the debate, and you know when I'm about to, this next line indicates to you that I'm probably gonna go 30 minutes over time. Get ready. <laughs> the debate between socialism and capitalism that exists today, dot, dot, dot. It's natural in a room of capitalists to see some controversy in that debate. I really love David's opening remarks. We didn't, we didn't pick a fight with Jack Bogle. We saw an opportunity to learn together. And I think if our inclination is to talk down socialism without thinking it through, we haven't read our F.A. Hayek, who said that the instinct towards socialism is a beautiful thing. It just doesn't work very well. But you've got to open your heart to why people are thinking that way in order to make capitalism better. And I do think conscious capitalism, the influence that it's had on us as a company, David is on the board of conscious capitalism, I think all of us can get out in the world and make sure to really support the companies and the individuals that care about the people that come to work every day, that care about customers having their lives be made better by organizations, because there are some dark and creepy and negative aspects of capitalism. It's just, it's getting harder and harder for them to persist in a world where so much information is available to us. As Roy Spence said, you're only gonna succeed in the future if you're in the life improvement business. If you can't articulate how you're making lives better, you're really gonna lose relevance in the world that we're moving into together. So there are so many things for us to be excited about, so much abundance in our lives right now because of you and with you together, and it's fun. I just encourage you to always be investing. Um, to always be investing in your daily life and to view the hours, the most, one of the most precious currencies in our lives, the time that we have here together and the time that we have in our lives to do things that are meaningful because collectively, this, this is the legacy of what we're creating together. The opportunity to meet like this and then to go back into our lives and take this knowledge, share it with others and to get people excited about the possibilities of entrepreneurship, of investment, of capitalism, of free markets and of opportunity for any individual anywhere in the world. I wanna close with a smarter, happier, richer story. This one's also old school. Um, 
but I think this person, who I've never met, David and I have never met this person, but we do love this person. This person is definitely a fool. In fact, if this person's in the audience today, which I know they aren't, but if we could ever find this person, we should, we should have a day to celebrate uh, what they brought to the world about 20 years ago at the Webby Awards. Now, the Webby Awards were the Academy Awards of the internet at the time. So in a ballroom in New York City, 3,000 entrepreneurs, teams, companies, the buzz of the internet emerging, obviously valuations going up late 1990s, a lot of chaos in the marketplace, a lot of innovation, and the seedlings of so many unbelievable things that happen over the next 20 years. Most bubbles, if we call them bubbles, are really the, be the beginnings of something amazing that's just not ready yet. So, or at least many bubbles, maybe not most, many bubbles are that. And that's what happened back in the late 1990s. So at the time, the winner for the best auction site online was eBay. Now, we would all know that now, but in 1998, it was just emerging, and eBay was growing very, very rapidly. Unfortunately, eBay was growing so rapidly that they neglected to send a representative to receive the, the Webby Awards. So when the MC called out a second time in the ballroom of 3,000 people, the winner of the best auction site is eBay. And everyone looked around. A gentleman about 15 rows back just popped out of his chair and ran up on stage to receive the award. He did not work for or have any affiliation whatsoever with eBay. In fact, he did not mention eBay one time in his acceptance speech. He then took the award off the podium, beautiful crystal award, the eBay's Webby Award, and he jogged down the middle row, right out the back of the arena, got into his car, and he drove home and sat down. And that night, he listed it for sale on eBay. <laughs> In the last two minutes of the auction, the auction was won for a pr price of $520 by the chief marketing officer at eBay, who had neglected to send anyone to receive it. That's the sort of smarter, happier, and richer that we love to see in this world. That's the show. It's edited award-stealingly by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.